Hey, and welcome to the YWAM Kansas City podcast. I'm Austin Heil. This is Mary Jin Palatau. We are both interns here. Uh, fun fact is that Mary Jin got married eight days before I did. Mm-hmm. Just so that you know, we're not married to each other, but we're both different married. People. Different people. Um, and this is Mark Anderson. Mark Anderson is our leader here. He's on the YWAM Founders bo- Board. He's a president of Call to All. He's been working on evangelistic campaigns since he was 19. And he's taking part to let around 4,000. Is that correct, Mark? Around uh, that number of campaigns? Yeah, give or take a few hundred. Give or take a few hundred. <laughs> um, he's the proud father of six. And how many grandkids do you have? Well, 22 as of yesterday. And you just found out gender. Is that available yeah, to be a revealed? Girl. A girl? It's a girl. And you have a lot of boys, so I think that's yeah, a positive yeah, thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> Got to balance it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also were a chef. Is that correct? Well, not well. I in after high school, I mm-hmm. helped run a restaurant and yeah, did what some was cooking? What was your favorite dish? I cook, to cook? better than my wife. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> wow! You heard it here first. <laughs> she would tell you. Yeah, she's a good cook, but I yeah. What was your favorite thing to make? Oh, pies. Pie. Oh wow! Yeah. You've never made us a pie. Yeah. No, you're right because I don't eat it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have the sugar, otherwise I'd yeah. make you pies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but like I said, uh, Mary Jen and I are interns here, and we've been able to spend a lot of time with Mark, and usually he's extremely busy traveling all over the world, but he's really cleared his schedule to pour into us. We have a team of seven here from the Philippines, and we're just training kind of how to do an all-nation initiative, how to truly transform a nation, because Mark has the principles and the knowledge of how to truly see transformation, not just people saying, raising their hand and saying, I love Jesus, but how to see transformation on every level. So... We're going to be talking a little bit about the kingdom today and a little bit about what this looks like in everyday life. So Yeah, so like Austin said, the first big question we want to ask you is what is the kingdom? But before we dive into that, I want to throw out some like what I feel are some common misconceptions about mm-hmm. the kingdom, like what um, the church a lot of times thinks the kingdom is. So I think kind of in Sunday school, we learn that it's peaceful, it's harmonious, there's butterflies <laughs> and rainbows, and that we're just going back to the garden. Um, and I think another thing we learned is that it's kind of a far off idea. It's like a thing, it's a, the kingdom in the clouds, like it's yeah. far away and it's not really here and now. And I think a lot of what we're taught in church is like you just pray the salvation prayer, you're good, go to church every Sunday, like you'll be in the kingdom, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Um, so yeah, well, the first big question we wanna ask you is, um, what? how would you define the kingdom? Yeah, well, that is a big question, and that's actually the number one subject Jesus talked about. Yeah, Isn't that interesting? The number one subject Jesus talked about was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, but it's not the number one subject that the church talks about yeah. in most of the world. Yeah. And uh, when's the last time you heard a message on the kingdom of God is like, Yeah. which Jesus said again and again and again and again? Why did he say that? That wasn't purely about the eternal kingdom in the future. That's about the kingdom being established right now. Matthew 24, 14, he said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Mm. So our assignment that we call the Great Commission is tied to the gospel of the kingdom. But Mm -hmm. if we don't know what the gospel of the kingdom is, how can we actually preach that? Yeah. And preaching is one aspect of it. It's how we implement the kingdom of heaven. And again, Jesus talked about that so many times. He talked about money, Mm. parable of the talents, the kingdom is like, you know, someone who had five talents and two talents and one talent and yeah. he comes back and finds out what they did with the talents the one had five made ten the one had two made four the one had one buried it in the ground and he called the one who buried it 
wicked and slothful servant. The mm-hmm. other two were commended, come into the reward for the kingdom. Yeah. All right, so Jesus did this all the time. And we don't n- normally have this framework. Some people have it, but normally this isn't the framework. <coughs> we have to think in terms of not just salvation and church attendance. We yeah. have to think in terms of how we transform society, mm-hmm. which yeah. is the really big deal. Mm-hmm. We're either seeing a shift in culture or we're not. And I just want to say to those who might be watching here, what we're going to be teaching in the internship that we're going to be doing next year, that you're part of right now, is really could be applied to anything they have in the way of mm-hmm. a project. Yeah. Anything that you feel that you are called to do, any category, any area, the same concepts and principles. You know, how you actually set it up and market it and how you fund it and staff it and how things work, mm-hmm. right? Because as we approach the gospel of the kingdom around the world and really getting the Great Commission established, we've got to look at these principles and these concepts, but so many aren't taught these. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. why I know that's what you guys are really liked, is yeah. the practicality mm-hmm. of it all. Yeah. yeah. How we could apply these things in real life and what it all means. But it starts with this framework. Yeah. Because the kingdom involves then going into what we call spheres or mountains. We have to, well, what is God's view of government? You know, what does God look like reflected in government? Yeah. 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 And all down the line, you know, business and economics, yeah. media. If media was to reflect the glory of God, what would that look like? And so you go to every category of life and say, this is about Jesus being understood or reflected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I've had so far being here with you is how you view the kingdom and everything that Jesus did but it's not just from the New Testament. It's from Genesis to Revelation, the whole storyline. It is. Mix, mixed together towards one unified story of leading towards Christ's return, but that the kingdom is now, but it also it started in Genesis. Could you just tell us a little bit about how oh, you sure. view that? Well, it's how the, the Lord set it up. Actually, if you read it from Genesis to Revelation and you understand from a kingdom framework, it all just fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's about now, God's intent on the earth, in the era in which we live. It's about the next era. It's about eternity. It's the eternal kingdom. All of it's just one continuous idea. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, the very first command. It's actually the first Great Commission command. Mm -hmm. The Great Commission commands didn't begin with Jesus. It began in Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and then rule, exercise Mm -hmm. dominion, it's all tied to how the earth is to be set up, what God had in mind for the earth, mm-hmm. that it will be a righteous multi-generational family across the earth in a family relationship, in relationship with the Lord himself. They walked and talked with him in the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was meant to operate that way. Yeah. That was the original framework for the kingdom. And, of course, sin came into the mix and the fall and messed up that plan. But that plan is what's being restored. Yeah. That's what Jesus came to restore, not just to die for our sins, but to restore the kingdom itself mm-hmm. in all its aspects. And that's missed because we don't pay attention to what Jesus taught. He was the entry point for the restoration of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when he talked about John the Baptist, he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God is expanding. Yeah. It's growing. It's moving. And forceful men and women have to take hold of it. Of course, that means spiritually. Take mm-hmm. hold of it. What does that look like? Taking hold of something spiritually because we know our battles against principalities and powers, yeah. evil rulers in the unseen realm. 
physically on the earth. We expand the kingdom of God by force and we move it. See, this is really what Jesus talked about most and what we have to talk about mm-hmm. most. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I remember um, one day in class you asked us um, what we thought we would do in heaven, like what, what the <laughs> kingdom looked like, and we yeah. all kind of were like, I don't know, like it's kind of portrayed as playing harps in the clouds, like I said. Um, but uh, you're just referring to the kingdom advancing, advancing forcefully and advancing now. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that, like what the kingdom looks like here and now? Well, let me tell you a little story, and uh, we need some stories, <laughs> a lot of teaching. Mark loves stories, just so everyone knows. Uh, yeah, and it makes it yeah. more palatable, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's a lot easier to understand. <laughs> some weeks ago, I was in a conversation with Lauren Cunningham. You know, Lauren and Darlene founded YWAM, and Lauren's a legend. <laughs> and so we were asking, it was a group of us in what we call the Founder Circle, but we were asking Lauren, because we're approaching the 60th anniversary of YWAM and all that, so what are you pleased with after 60 years? Mm-hmm. And what are you disappointed with? That's a pretty big question yeah. when you're asking an 85-year-old apostolic leader, yeah. you know, what's his reflection on 60 years? Yeah. And he said, well, I'm really grateful to the Lord that the original dream or vision he gave for waves of young people going to the shores has really been realized and is mm-hmm. growing. And there's millions of young people that have been trained and sent to the nations of the earth. And he expanded on that, the university and yeah. the ship ministries and all the things that he's you know, really blessed by. And then he answered the other part of the question. What are you most disappointed with after 60 years? And he got teary-eyed mm-hmm. and paused. And he began to talk about his encounter in 1975. If, if people aren't aware of the 1975 encounter, it's really significant in the storyline of what God's doing in the earth right now. Yeah. But Lauren Cunningham was called by the Lord with Darlene to go into the mountains of Colorado and wait on the Lord about Matthew 28, discipling of nations, mm-hmm. what that meant. Matthew, you know, Matthew 28, this gospel of the king will be preached in all the world's testimony to all nations, right? But also, or Matthew 24, 14, but Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, what does that mean, actually? Well, so he went away to pray. Bill Bright did the same thing. He didn't know that. But Bill and Vonette Bright were in Colorado as well mm-hmm. the same week. And they didn't know that Francis Schaefer was being stirred by this at the same time. They found that out later. But that week, they both had downloads from the Lord, supernatural downloads about what it means to disciple a nation. Hmm. And it had to do with the spheres or the mountains, right? And so he came out of that and began to really form the ideas for the University of the Nations. You know, the colleges built around each of the spheres. And uh, there were some things that were done that were quite powerful. But largely, the body of Christ across the world hasn't entered into that. And really, for the most part, neither has Youth of the Mission. Mm. We've touched on it. Mm -hmm. We run schools about it. But in terms of our missional frameworks and seeing the Lord reflected in all the categories of society with his glory, that hasn't been largely our view in how we approach things. And much like rest of the body of Christ. Yeah. We think about the gospel of salvation and the gospel of church attendance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, which are essential elements, <laughs> but that's not the kingdom. Yeah. Okay, so Lauren's talking, and as I said, he had tears in his eyes, and he said, I'm just looking at the nations right now, and he's beginning to talk about America. Mm. And he said, we have over 
400,000 churches. They have church services going on all the time, you know, if we weren't in a pandemic, you know. <laughs> Got millions and millions of people that know about Christ, follow him, have Bibles at home. Yeah. And he said, we've lost the culture. Mm. Wow. And he said, we're not, we're, we have no place in education. We're completely out. We're forbidden to talk about it. We have very little place in government. Yeah. You have very little place in media. Media won't even allow us to talk about our beliefs. And now they're becoming hate crimes even to say what we believe. He started reflecting on each of the areas. He said, how could it possibly be we'd have more churches per capita than any other country in the world, have more religious activity going on, and lose the country? Yeah. Wow. And he said that's because we're not practicing the gospel of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, that's really true. And I think kind of what you're talking about with the spheres, so like media, education, government, all those spheres of society. I think one thing that I've seen, that we've seen even, I mean, we've both been full-time missionaries for like a year now, so mm -hmm. not <laughs> quite as long as you, but something that I even... Give you, or take 50. Yeah. <laughs> Close, uh, even, even noticing back whenever I was in college, it's kind of this idea that a lot of Christians have that it's the pastors and the full-time missionaries. They're the ones who are supposed to do all the work, and then everyone else just kind of goes to church on Sunday and that's their Christian mm -hmm. duty for the week. That's kind of all that they do. There's really not a grid or even a framework for that we're supposed to take this message in the Bible and we're supposed to take it to work and we're supposed to take it to all these different things. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, if you would have told me that a few years ago, I'd have been like, what the heck do you mean I'm supposed to go? I, I work at like some retail store. What am I supposed to do there? I have a job. I work nine to five. So what is that? Can you just give us a brief look as to what that could even practically look like? Yeah, well, of course. And this is yet to be fully realized. So it's a little bit speculative, right? But, you know, I'm friends with some of the Green family. Maybe people know who that is, but they have Hobby Lobby here in the United mm -hmm. States. It's a very large chain of stores with household goods. And uh, they've been very successful. And they have, a, the Lord has used them to really affect the whole category of business, mm -hmm. but also some other categories, like yeah. the Bible and Bible translation and so on. Not just through donation, which they do a lot of. Yeah. They're one of the larger don you know, families that donate into missions in the world. But how they live their lives and how they think in terms of society, they've taken stands, really major stands, to defend uh, the unborn. You know, many different categories. Their employees are treated really well. Yeah. They're paid well. They have good insurance and so on. They take good care of their employees, right? And they're known for that. So they're one of the better examples of actually reflecting godly principles in the marketplace. Yeah. yeah. But we've got to take that a lot further, and everybody has to get this. Now, yeah. if you work at a store, you're an employee. Well, obviously, you do what... You know, I did a lot of early on before I went into ministry. You share your faith. You live a righteous life. You, you let people into your life. You get in their life. You know, you interact with them yeah. on a relational level. And that's just basic kind of entry-level missions Christianity, yeah. right? Yeah. And we know that. Most don't do it, <laughs> but we know it, right? Yeah. And we have to do it. That's why I designed this app now that people can get called All-America. Mm -hmm. So you can pray for somebody by name and and so on, right? Yeah. But it's more than that. What the Lord is interested in and what he talks about in his word is that all of society itself, the, way to, the better way to see this would be God's the creator of everything. 
He holds it all together. We know in Hebrews chapter 1, he holds together the universe by his spoken word. He propels it, holds it together. All of it's his design. What he wants to see, the Father wants on behalf of the Son, the Son wants, the Holy Spirit's job is to reflect it and explain or reveal who Christ is, is what does the kingdom look like? What does Christ's rule look like in government if government operates righteously? What does business or economics look like if it reflects who Christ is? You see, education. What would perfect education look like? We know the beginning of everything is the fear of the Lord, both knowledge and wisdom. uh, Fear of the Lord is at the foundation of that. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have fear of the Lord in our educational systems. So therefore, people aren't really educated on the level they could be. They have information, but they don't have the whole aspect of what it means to be educated through all the different dimensions. So you go down each category, family, breaking up, divorces, and all of these tragedies that are happening. Well, what would a godly framework look like in family? Multi-generationally, which is God's original idea. See, every category is like that. Tech, largely used for all kinds of ungodly purposes, though we all use it every day Mm -hmm. in good ways. But we need to, that's a whole category we should actually reflect Mm -hmm. the kingdom of God in and through, right? So believers need to look beyond, well, I'm in the secular over here to make money, which is the goal. But over here I have a church participation and I do the religious stuff. Yeah. And once in a while, I can do a little Bible study over there if they let me and do a little personal witness and wrong perspective. Everything we are, everything we're part of, we're meant to bring a reflection of God's ideas of what that is meant to look like. Hmm. I don't know if that helps, but that's the beginning framework. And we talk in class for hours about this (laughs) and days, but that's the perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I love your examples of like how bringing a bible study to a business is is really just bringing a church service to a business which is um, we've moved into this like kind of framework where churches are for sundays and if you bring it to a business or to a workplace it's kind of like okay like that's fine just keep it to yourself um so people who are looking for more people who are watching this where it's hitting their spirits it's like wow i want more of this i want to really influence my spheres how would you um recommend like going about that and like beginning to really shift those things well that's why we designed the internship (laughs) no it is it's yeah the reason i started this invest this much time in it and you know my normal schedule would be that i would travel 150 200 days a year internationally and Mm -hmm. you know do a bunch of stuff right we're taking the time to really just sit still and i'm bringing to the table some people that really know this stuff the best in the world actually in their categories and to help the ones we're going to work with really understand in whatever they're going into, okay, whatever category they're going to go into, whether it, they, they consider it secular or sacred, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it is, you know, that I don't like that division. Yeah. We shouldn't have that division. Yeah. <laughs> what are the kingdom principles? Yeah. How could you apply the, the kingdom principles in what you're doing? If it's a missions call, how do you grow it, expand it, fund it, staff it? How do you make sure that whatever you're doing is field-driven, field-measured? I mean, we do a lot of stuff in the name of missions that really doesn't get much done. Yeah. yeah. It's a bunch of exercise, you know. It's like being on a treadmill, but we're not really moving. Mm. <laughs> we're just kind of jogging in place. That's what a lot of missions activity is, unfortunately. Yeah. So measurably, you know, what are we getting done? 
and whatever that category of missions is. If we have medical missions, well, how much medical stuff are we doing? How much change do we make in society, you know, the society yeah. that we're serving? If it's education, how much are we shifting education with a godly perspective from a biblical framework? Yeah. It's not a Bible study at the school. It's the whole biblical framework of what mm-hmm. education is and how you learn. Yeah. Everything is like that. Yeah. So we go into that. Yeah. And we go into the practicalities of how you actually begin to do that stuff. Kind of sounds, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of sounds like it's going to cost us something. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it does. Everything important costs us, right? Yeah. Kind of sounds like, I mean, especially in America where we're so beyond comfortable, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, (laughs) I lived in the Philippines for nine months. I don't have like that great of a framework of the entire world, but in terms of what we have, it's really easy to get comfortable here. Um, If we have international listeners, then this might not pertain to everyone, but at least in America, we have so much and it's easy to get comfortable and it kind of seems like we've taken that into church as well it's like we want to do just as much that we can just go into church sit in the back do our religious thing and then leave and then maybe if we're super spiritual we'll also go on a tuesday night to a prayer group oh you're a radical (laughs) calm down (laughs) yeah it kind of just seems like that's what we've made it that's what Mm, we made christianity but whenever i read the bible and whenever i look at the lives of people like you or other people that you told us about I don't see that anywhere. Like, I think one of the things that you told us that really stuck out to me and you just mentioned is that anything, no one has done anything great for Jesus and has it cost them nothing. It's mm-hmm. always cost them yeah. something. A Whether, lot. Actually. Yeah. Everything. Pro- yeah, everything. It's kind of like we have to die to ourselves <laughs> yeah. or something. But <laughs> I'm not sure. That <laughs> might be in the Bible somewhere. Times, yeah. <laughs> um, but what would you say to someone who maybe they kind of, They've been sitting in church every Sunday, and they're like, or maybe they even stopped going because they're like, there, this isn't what I see, and they're just like, there has to be something more. Just yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of shift going on in the body of Christ right now, and among some of my friends that pastor and so on, and they're beginning to think a lot more holistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just looking at society as a whole. But we're in the entry level of discovering what this looks like. Mm-hmm. It really, we're at kind of a, a point of reformation much like hundreds of years ago, where we're discovering from God's perspective what is society meant to look like? Yeah. You know, it says in Habakkuk 2.14 that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be known across the earth as the waters cover the sea. What does that mean? That we're going to have church services all across the earth? <laughs> no, it means that society as a whole is going to have at least the revelation, not that they're all going to embrace it. Many will resist it. But they have a revelation of the glory of the Lord who he is and his majesty and all his dimensions. God doesn't work in a category called religion. Christianity actually isn't a religion. Hmm. Religion's a search for God. True Christianity is a relationship with the living God. You're not searching. Hmm. You know, it's so, I hate that term anyway. (laughs) So it's just a bunch of activity that we go through sometimes. That's not what's being revealed. What's being revealed is the creator and his original purpose in every category of life. Wouldn't it make sense to go to the one that actually invented it and created it to find out how it's meant to work? Mm-hmm. We're trying to do a bunch of stuff across the globe, not really listening to the manual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Bible, two thirds of the Bible is written to the seers. It's not a religious book, yeah. it's not about religious activity. It's about God's perspective in all the different categories or spheres of life. Yeah. That's the revelation that's starting to come. And that's why, like, the book of Revelation is the revelation of the Son. Yeah. And because it's kind of the culmination from Genesis 
of some of the thinking. Mm -hmm. But it all culminates when he's fully revealed in who he is in all his dimensions, and it's way beyond the baby in a manger, right? And so you and I are the church. Yeah. <coughs> well, we're supposed to advance those ideas, mm -hmm. bring understanding to those ideas practically. And so this internship, part of what this is about is teaching people really how to do that in whatever category they feel calling. How do we actually successfully advance the kingdom of God in blank, fill it out? Yeah. 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 Wow. That's good. Um, I want to ask a question um, kind of back to dying to ourselves and like what that exchange looks like. So um, just looking at the example of when Jesus called the disciples, they that's like such a beautiful example of them like dying to mm -hmm. themselves, dying to their their jobs, their families. They just drop things and everything that they were working on everything they had worked for up until that point, they dropped it and left to follow Jesus, left to um, wholeheartedly pursue, like, spreading the good news and learning more about um, about their creator, about who he is. Um, so what do you think that looks like today? What do you think, like, dropping those things <laughs> looks like? What do you think calling disciples looks like looks Well, the, like it's today? different for everybody, and we can't really define it for each person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we can give them at least categorically what it looks like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you were just quoting it. Every one of the calls that Jesus made to anyone required what he said. Because he said, if you're going to follow me, you must, the word must is kind of important, <laughs> uh, deny yourself. Well, that's not normal. <laughs> Most of what we call the gospel today is a presentation of a bunch of humanistic ideas, mm. which is self, you know, it's really self-serving. Yeah. yeah. You know. It's kind of like this. God loves you. Plan for your life. Pray this prayer. You're in. You're good for eternity. Go to church. What? <laughs> Where is that? Yeah. That's not that scriptural framework for salvation. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Well, start by denying yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Then pick up your cross every day, which is die. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. But every day, because the <laughs> natural day. inclination of a human being is, well, I did that. Yeah. So you have to do it all the time. And then lose your life, he said, and you'll find life itself. And then the contrast. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Yeah. All right, so that's the framework. And that's, he had to rebuke Peter, remember, after Peter's revelation. Everybody talks about the revelation Peter had because he saw, he had understanding that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah. Two seconds later, Jesus is rebuking him and saying, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> well, because he didn't get that the way the Son of God had to enter into the reign of the kingdom was through dying. So he's explaining to Peter and all the disciples, I have to go and suffer and die. And Peter goes, no, Lord, never. That should never happen to you, Matthew 16. Hmm. And just think of that. You've got a human being here rebuking <laughs> the Son of God, saying, huh. never. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus turns to him with one of the most serious rebukes in Scripture. Get behind me, Satan. For you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Mm. Wow. And so that's the perfect description of humanism. Yeah. You don't have in mind the things of God, just the things of men. Then he went on to say, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Mm. Lose your life. So that's the framework that you're talking about. It seems like it's the upside, upside down kingdom, right? Yeah. It's not about accumulating stuff and getting stuff. It's yeah. about dying. And then you enter into a whole yeah. other life in Christ. Yeah, it's an exchange of life. Yeah, I think uh, one of one of the things I've seen, and 
on that note is just in terms of family. And I think I've been really impacted hearing about your family and how you kind of viewed, um, you know, like neighborhood centers or whatever you called it. Because I think in terms of family, just a very specific, one of the spheres that we talk about all the time is you kind of made it like if you can like grow up and your kid can quote some Bible verses, like heck yeah, you, <laughs> you made it. And I mean, I had the privilege of growing up with amazing family, but just realizing the scope of the Bible and realizing, man, what could family truly do? If we truly were, if we truly were to look at the family framework in the Bible and we were to take it and be like, okay, we can do this. I see that in your family a little bit. So could you share a little bit about how you viewed family, um, even <laughs> whenever you had like your neighborhood centers and all that stuff, because that was really yeah. amazing. Well, my wife and I, when we first were getting serious and long, many years ago, <laughs> 46 years ago. So we decided, you know, we're going to base our relationship on the Word of God. Now, you would think all the people we're running with and the churches we were attending and the meetings we were in and the Bible studies, we would have had all that. But largely, the messages we were hearing were reflections of what society was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, oh, we're overpopulated on the earth. You shouldn't have so many kids and da da da. You know, don't get married young. Get married a little bit later and go, you know, try out a few partners. And get, <laughs> all this stuff was being said, actually inferred from pulpits. Mm. Yeah. And we were getting it even from family members. So we decided we were really sold out. Jesus movement, you know, we're yeah. just like filled with the presence of God and just we're going full on, right? Mm-hmm. So we gave ourselves seriously to the Lord, and we were doing that to each other, to the Lord, and we wanted to do it the biblical way. And so we just went into months of searching in Scripture. What did the Bible say about family and marriage and kids and all this stuff to our delight and our shock? <laughs> is the Bible never says restrict your children. Mm. There's not one inference to it that children actually reward from the Lord. And the more, the more blessed you are. When people hear that, they just kind of grate because it goes against every cultural norm. Mm. But God's perspective is, is that all of these children that you're having, this large family you're having, this is actually an expansion of his kingdom. It's actually the term nations. We talk about the nations being reached missionally. Hmm. It's about people groups, family lines. All the earth the population of the earth are family lines. Right. Anyway, this is coming to us now. We're, we didn't fully get it at 19, <laughs> <laughs> but we're committed to it because we're yeah. taking it by faith. Yeah. Right. Like, well, everybody's telling us don't do that. Don't, you can't afford that. Don't have kids too quick. You know, after we got married. You know, those, that's the common counsel out there that people give, even from the pulpits, which is unbiblical. It's actually anti-scripture. Because hmm. the scripture, we could not find one place that it ever said that, hmm. even inferred. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Well, we started there, and then just started having children, and you don't just have them, you raise them, and you invest <laughs> in them, and you think, and the Lord started giving us a multi-generational perspective. It wasn't just children. I remember I came back. I was heavy in missions and traveling and pioneering some early works in YWAM and kind of burnt out a little bit because it's just moving on, you know, starting a base out in the mm-hmm. middle of the wilderness. And for real, it's hard <coughs> building a house and living at the same time. And I came back, and my wife and I were homeschooling the kids because that's the other thing. You know, we as parents, you're responsible for education. That's God's view of education. Mm-hmm. Parents are responsible. So we were homeschooling back before there was internet, right? <laughs> Piles of books. So my wife was doing a lot of the work during the day and then I'd come home and do stuff at night and I came home one night late 
about 8 p.m. She was already tired. She had a pile of books. She threw them in my hands, said, the books are yours and the kids are yours. <laughs> and she took off into the bedroom. <laughs> and I get it. And I was tired. I had been traveling all day. And I, so I, I said to the kids, I'm on. You know, we're going to do science outside in the back. And we're going to do this. And did math. And, and about 11 o'clock, it was all done. Hmm. Right now, I'm totally exhausted. Missed dinner. And I just sent them off to their bedrooms. And I sit down. And there's six of them, you know. And uh, I go, Lord, I love each one of them. I, I wouldn't send any of them back, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> But you got to give me some perspective here. I'm tired. Yeah. And the Lord immediately prompted me to get a calculator. And that's kind of odd, isn't it? <laughs> but he talks to me through calculators anyway. Yeah, yeah. I like numbers. And so he, I felt impressed to punch in six. Now, the number of our kids, right? And then what if they each, on the average, had six each? Hmm. Times six, 36. Mm -hmm. Almost there. Okay. We're at, what, 22 Yeah, now? I'm getting real On close. track. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, and then it again, 128. Whoa. Did it again, 700-some. Did it again, 400-some. Did it again, oh, 2,400. Did it again. I did it 12 times. Mm -hmm. 12 and a half generations. My descendants, and of course, doesn't work perfectly like this but if they average six each, would replace the whole population of the earth. Right. <laughs> Billions. And I'm stunned. I'm just sitting there going, oh my gosh. We are not raising children, we're raising genealogies. Mm. Wow. This is Genesis yeah. 1. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule. Mm. And it just hit me. Right, and then I share it with Karen in the morning right away. You know, she gets up early, early, so I got up early, and I'm giving this all to her. And she got a revelation that morning. She said, uh, "Yeah, and they're going to live with us forever." Uh -huh. hmm. So think about that a second. Uh -huh. If you have an eternal perspective, which most people do not, because they don't know what heaven is, and they don't know where they're going, they don't know yeah. what they're going to do in heaven. All of which we cover in the internship <laughs> in depth, because you have to have that. that. The great heroes of faith had an eternal perspective. That's why they had staying power. Yeah. But all of these these kids and grandkids and now I got great grands coming, you know. Mm -hmm. They're already happening while I'm alive. Yeah. Are with me forever. Wow. So billions of years. Think about that. What an investment that you could have a child, raise them. They have children. They have children. They have children. And there's thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, wow. all of whom live with you forever. That mm -hmm. was the entry point for our really a whole new way of thinking about family yeah wow yeah that i was going to ask you to share that example but you went there <laughs> and that was perfect um, Th yeah think? i think i think just even more on that because i really want to dig into this one because i think what's really cool about this family piece is that every single sphere goes even more in depth than what you just shared yeah and that's already just a quick like what should be just biblical it should Everyone should know that, but it's so not known today. Could you share a little bit on like how you viewed even discipling your neighbors from your family? Because it's just <laughs> so different than what we're what we're used to. Well, everywhere you are, you're a missionary. It doesn't matter what you're in. So my wife and I felt led to live in a particular house in a suburb here in Kansas City, and uh, God sovereignly led us to a home. And our immediate 
course, is how we're how we think and how we're trained. Yeah. Immediately, we went to intercession and prayer over all the other homes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, with six children, you make friends real quick in the neighborhood, right? Because they're out meeting all the rest of the kids. And we found out there were 52 kids in the neighborhood, and they were between the age of six and 12. And, mm. You know, so my wife and I started praying over it, a strategy, how to reach all those kids. We found out to our surprise, there were churches all over the neighborhood, but to our surprise, almost none of the families in the neighborhood were part of any of them. And the kids that were playing with our kids weren't believers. Oh. There were a couple, but the rest weren't, mm -hmm. right? It's like 50 were not. And so my wife really landed an idea about a neighborhood Bible club on a Thursday. No, moms trust moms. <laughs> True. Right? <laughs> yeah. Not dads necessarily, but yeah. moms. <laughs> so we did a deal where the kids would come over to our house right from the bus stop. Our kids would invite them, right? Bring them to the house. And I changed my house. See. The Lord really dealt with me that my car, my house, everything we have, it's all kingdom. Mm -hmm. So we, the house to us was a neighborhood center. Mm. You referred to that before and yeah. probably didn't get what you meant by it. Mm -hmm. A center for the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, if you're going to do that, you change your house. So basketball hoop in the front, the back for football, and you know all the sports things they could do all around outside. The garage, I changed it all from work stuff that I normally would do in a garage to all shelves where we put up junk food and <laughs> sports goods. And we had Bibles that were sports Bibles and we put the kids' names on them mm. and got the right media inside the living room, family room area so they could watch videos of stuff. And Anyway, we went after the neighborhood. They would come from the bus stop. We'd have junk food all piled through the garage mm. and they'd just <laughs> jump from, you know, get to grab their chips and their <laughs> licorice and stuff. And, then they would come in for the actual presentation, which we did usually on video, some aspect of the Bible, get into a paradigm, a discussion, pray for their needs, their family's needs. Well, the first one, my wife and a, uh, a friend of hers next door, another mom, led the kids there to the Lord. There were mm. 12, and all of them responded and prayed. Mm. Wild, huh? But then they go right after where they go, well, when's the next one? I want to bring mine. <laughs> Yeah. And friends, I want to bring, okay. They weren't sure how many of these that they'd even do, but they got into a weekly rhythm. Pretty soon, all my kids were part of this, you know, because we were equipping them, and they were sharing their faith, and they were going door to door, and inviting wow. people to events, and right? They're taking the Word of God out under the street late at night, and they're explaining Bible verses, yeah. and counseling them through stuff. All the kids were missional. Yeah. I could tell you story after story about that, how it worked, but eventually, they engaged all 50 kids in the neighborhood. Wow. 48 came to Christ mm. <laughs> of the kids. Then my wife had opportunity to disciple back into the families because the moms were asking, what did you do with my child? Yeah. You know, they're <laughs> obeying, they're <laughs> different. And so she started discipling the moms. Wow. Wow. So you have to see yourself wherever you're planted as a missionary. Yeah. And uh, that was a powerful movement all through the neighborhood. So much so the churches started coming over going, you have more kids coming to your house than we do to our groups. <laughs> You know, what are you doing? And it's missional. It's yeah. field-driven. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I love, like, all the practical um, stories you put in your own life. And I think in this in our time here, we've, like, gotten so much, like, so many ideas and perspective um, just from your own stories. So we really appreciate that. Um, but our last thing we want to kind of jump into is what, like, to you is the value of training? Not even um, just in this internship, because this obviously is a, a training, um, but, like, what do you see the value of training as? Well, it has to be live-learn, 
which is mm -hmm. one of the values of the youth, the mission. Yeah. yeah. But we're not always, we don't always do that. Yeah. Right, to be honest. Can you kind of <coughs> define what live, learn means sure. for people who might not know? You get a concept, mm -hmm. but then you have to have somebody mentor you in it, and you have to go to the field and implement it. Yeah. Yeah. It can't just be like three months of lectures and just go do something. Yeah. It's got to be intertwined yeah. in my, my way of thinking. Yeah. Right? So you got to get in the field. Now, the pandemic has restricted us a little bit for the past months, yeah. but next year it won't. Yeah. And uh, we'll be fully involved in what we call All America which is engaging all 50 states with the gospel and the word of God and all the different dimensions that we need to go into and the spheres in many, many categories. So there'll be a hands-on experience going through all the different states, counties, school districts. We want to engage every school district in America with the body of Christ in partnership, oh. which they're coming on now. Hundreds of partners are coming on yeah. to engage everybody in the country. Pray for them all by name. Somebody personally engage them introduce them to the word of god bible saturation christian community get them involved with christian community on whatever level they can touch human need compassion issues these are all part of the national campaign so the interns are going to be hands-on okay i want to see them going in and out of places doing stuff practicing the things they learn that's how we actually yeah. learn right yeah 60 yeah. percent of people they learn by watching not just by yeah words mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's I want mentoring. I want yeah. That's our desire, yeah. and I believe we'll have it. Sounds a little bit like what Jesus did. Yeah, disciples. a little bit like that, huh? I, I think it's um, <laughs> it's actually interesting because I had a conversation with uh, some of my really good friends back up in Minnesota a few weeks ago, and we were just talking about. I mean, we could talk about the lack of fathers in terms of physical fathers, but then just the lack of fathers as in mentors and people to really come uh, and champion these young people and actually help them in what they're doing, because seems like mentorship and discipleship has kind of become a Tuesday coffee for an hour yeah, yeah. and right. just come in tell me your problems and I'll give you the answers not so much a lifestyle of like let me I'll let you see how I live my life and then I'll, I'll also help you do what you're supposed to be doing that's good. And I feel like that's, that's a little excellent. bit what you're saying is that in this internship but then even just in the value of training yeah. it's that it's a lifestyle it's you're supposed to see someone do it so they, they can learn and grow. You guys and the other couples that are part of the internship right now, you've asked me thousands of questions. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I yeah. say yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's been a lot. Right. <clears throat> and I always ask, don't I? Yeah. Like, you have a question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the interaction, the conversation, is as much the training as a teaching. Yeah. yeah. you got to go back and forth. So that's the framework for this. Mm-hmm how it's all set up and uh, I've trained a, f a few people over the years you know hundreds and hundreds of missionaries but also about 400,000 in various uh, teams committees things and cities and it has to be something where you're bringing them into it yeah right yeah and so those who feel prompted to be part of this internship yeah. they're gonna get a load yeah a lot <laughs> get a lot of stuff though they're gonna have hands-on experience with yeah last thing I just want to say before I know we have to end here soon is that uh, <clears throat> I think one of my favorite aspects, I think Mary Jane should share one of her favorite aspects too. Okay, okay. But uh, <laughs> one of my favorite aspects is that I'm a huge dreamer. And like, I'm always thinking out here, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's possible if we actually just all did this? But I'm, I, I've been used to being around other people who can dream and get me pumped up to do it. But at the same time, I've never had, I've never been in a place <clears throat> where they not only challenge me in terms of how big can you dream, like you're not even dreaming big enough, but then being like, 
but practically, how can we actually see the dream mm -hmm. come to fruition? Because I think a lot of times it's really easy to be like, yeah, I'm going to change, like, I'm going to change the business world, or I'm going right. to change the nation, or I'm going to go do this. And I think you asked us this question once, like, all right, you want to change a nation. What's the first thing you're going to do when you get there? And we're all like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sit on a cloud, yeah. play the harp. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to pray a little bit. I'm sure I'll get the answers if I pray long enough. Mm. But actually being like, okay, well, no, this is what you would do. Like, these are the practical, these are the principles you need to know what you're going to do. But then not just principles. Here are the steps you can do. Here are the people you should talk to. Here are the partners you'll need. And I think that's been one of my favorite aspects is I'm not only getting challenged in how big can I dream? Like, my dream isn't uh -huh. even big enough yet. But also, all right, now here's the actual practicals how we're going to do that. So I've loved that. So thank you very much for that. And yeah. Um, my favorite part is quite similar. I have, like, and we're what like four months in and I have like feel right now more equipped than I ever have um, because I like just rolled out of DTS last year and I was like just you know stoked for the nations and stoked for um, what the Lord is doing across the earth but I didn't really have a framework of how to go after that um, I had like zero idea of where to start like Austin said and I've like like I said, only four months in, I feel like more equipped than I ever have. So I can't imagine like the next, what the next few months will hold. But also like, like you said, like live learning. We're all, we're always learning as we're doing these things. And we have people to come back to to say like this worked, this didn't. And then also from that place, like we get to train people up um, after us. Like you were saying, it's a multi-generational thing. It's not just we learn, we do it until we're 80 and then we're good to go. We're like training people along the way, just like you're doing with us. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I love <laughs> hearing that. And it's true. You're, you're, those who are here, I'm always thinking about training them in their marriage, if they have children, what that means in a family context, finances, investment, personal, <laughs> corporate, how you fund. All of it, you can't separate it out. Mm -hmm. It has to all be discussed and presented together. Yeah. Right? Because we're part of all these things. Yeah. So then you say, oh, I'm going to do missions. You know, I talk to so many missionaries that go to foreign countries and think going to the country is missions. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to blank. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's why I asked you. I said, yeah. well, okay, what are you going to do when you get there? Well, I'm going to stay with this missionary, and yeah, well, what are they doing? <laughs> What's the bottom line in their life? How much fruit has there been? Mm -hmm. How many people have come to Christ? How many have been discipled in one level or another? What part of society have they engaged that you've seen transformation in? Yeah. You know, what, what's the measurable here? Yeah. And everybody, ah, uh, I thought I just had to get on a plane, go over there, learn <laughs> the language. Yeah. You know, they tell me, well, I'm going to spend the first three years learning the language. Yeah, then what? <laughs> you know. Is that the best strategy, or should you work with nationals that already know the language that I'll, you know, can live on one-tenth yeah. of what you make, and they can do the work more locally? Yeah. See, I've been part of that for years in missions initiatives, very measurable outcomes in the field, mm -hmm. that you march down, you know, what you're trying to accomplish, and you're yeah. brutal about how well you're doing. Yeah. You're not just, oh, I do missions, and then make up something in a newsletter for somebody so they support <laughs> you. <laughs> We're not doing that. Yeah. So for anybody that wants to get serious about, if you're not, and I trust you're probably serious already, but you want to learn how to really do it, and you're going to be brutally honest about the effectiveness of it or the lack thereof, 
we can move into fruitfulness. Yeah. I really believe the Lord's designed us to be fruitful. Yeah. Wow. Amen. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mark. It was yeah. really great. We, I feel like we learned so much, even more than, <laughs> even though we already knew all this, we yeah. learned so much. And yeah, trust that, yeah, that the Lord is speaking through all of these things. And we, yeah. Thank, thank you, Mary Jane. Appreciate <laughs> it. You guys are awesome. Great students. Thank you. You're uh, going to do way more than I've done, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> tall order. Well, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's a blessing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you guys. You. Thank, thank you guys, guys for watching.